I awake in the darkness, too weak to even summon the light. Welcome to the Sandman Shadow Truths. We'll have a look at issue number two today, Imperfect Hosts. My name is Petra Borzinski, I'm your host, and I am a voice coach, psychotherapist and writer. And the goal of Sandman Shadow Truths is to basically see how the Sandman can inspire and challenge us in our quests around creativity and mental well-being. In the second issue, Imperfect Hosts, Dream begins his quest to recover his three tools of power, his sand, his helm and his ruby. And they were stolen by a mortal magician who had him imprisoned for 70 years or over 100 years in the TV series. If you need a recap of that, you can basically either have a listen to the last episode or check it out in the show notes where I give you all the relevant links. So let's start with a little synopsis of this issue. In this issue, we see Dream returning to his realm, the Dreaming, only to find it in ruins and decay. To restore his strength, because he's seriously underpowered without his vestments, he needs to summon the Fates, who can tell him where his tools are. But he's so weak that he can't bring up enough strength to do so. So he basically has to reabsorb something he has created in the dreaming. Enter Cain and Abel, two immortal brothers. Whether they're exactly the biblical Cain and Abel, we'll maybe have a look at that at a later stage. And they live in the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets, respectively. That's basically a nod to their past as the hosts of DC and Vertigo's House of Mystery, House of Secrets, and also the plop um, horror comics. So if you're interested in those, maybe have a little look at those as well. I'd like to briefly point out a difference between the comics and the TV series here, because in the comics, Dream is actually found by Gregory the Gargoyle, and he's in a very weakened state at that point, and Cain and Abel basically nurse him back to health. He then reabsorbs Cain's and Abel's letters of commission. Dream basically created them, and they hold his signature, so that's something he created, and then gains back enough strength to summon the fates. In the TV series, on the other hand, Dream reabsorbs Gregory because he's one of his creations. He started his existence as a nightmare. In this issue, we also meet Lucien or Lucien, depending on if you're looking at the comics or the TV series um, for the very first time. And he or she is Dream's librarian and also somewhat of his majordomo in a way. So I won't go into their relationship too deeply at this stage. But Lucien or Lucien could certainly be called one of Dream's most loyal servants in both the comics and the TV series. He or she was one of the very few denizens of the Dreaming who didn't abandon the Dreaming when Morpheus was captured. We then, at a later stage, move on to Dream Summoning the Fates, or the Hecate, and they appear as three women of different ages, the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. And there's probably a whole podcast episode in there as to their different incarnations in world mythology. I'll spare you that at this point, but we might go into that a tiny bit at some stage. 
The fates tell him that his hand is in the possession of John Constantine, who is a British occultist or magic user. And um, Constantine has been gender swapped in the TV series into a Joanna Constantine. Dream's helm is in hell, guarded by a demon. And his ruby is with John Dee, who in the comics is also known as Dr. Destiny. Um, that doesn't get mentioned in the TV series because Netflix stripped away basically all DC references. Dream gifts Cain and Abel a new baby gargoyle, which they name Goldie after a lot of back and forth. Um, if you've seen it or if you read it, you know what I'm referring to. Um, but that's also very specific to the TV show because in the comics, Goldie is actually a gift that Cain gives to Abel. And Dream then sets off to find his tools and restore his power. And he also makes a promise to rebuild his realm. Meanwhile, in Arkham Asylum, that's in the comics, John Dee is visited by his mother, Ethel Cripps, who was involved in Dream's capture, actually, in both the comics and the TV series, um, to slightly differing degrees. John Dee is in a really terrible physical and mental state. He tells his mother that they took his dreams away from him. We'll find out later what exactly that means. And that has changed a tiny bit for the TV series. We don't really get that at that stage yet, because at this point, um, Ethel is only visited by the Corinthian, who is a nightmare that escaped from the dreaming. And the Corinthian basically tells Ethel that Dream will come after her, her son, and also him soon. And that, in a way, yeah, should encourage her to take him out first. Um, but Ethel is not really having any of it and protects herself with an amulet that basically sends the Corinthian back to the Dreaming, albeit briefly. So after this brief synopsis, let's move over to the pain points. If we wanted to find the intersection between storytelling, mental health and creativity in issue number two, we can basically boil things down to several main topics. One of them is trauma. Another one is depression. Then we also have codependency. And last but not least, stories as the intersections of dreams and reality, truth and lies. Um, this is actually the first issue if I'm not mistaken, where Dream is actually called the Prince of Stories for the very first time. Now, Dream's imprisonment, um, and I talked about that the last time, was basically one big metaphor for the loss of imagination, inspiration, expression, and ultimately life force that many people experience due to trauma, depression, or oppression. You can feel free to go back and forth between this and the previous episode, if you want to. His quest to find his tools of power symbolizes his long journey of healing and reclaiming identity and agency. How that will work out exactly, who knows at this stage. We'll have a closer look at all of that, obviously. But I think what's most prominent and also most gut-wrenching in a certain way is how marked by sadness and despair and hopelessness, Dream's return to his realm actually is. He finds the dreaming completely in ruins and decay. His library is empty of books. His creations are basically fading away. He feels really weak and powerless and alone. 
And he has to make a lot of difficult choices and sacrifices to basically restore his power and his realm. There's even one panel in the comics where he explicitly states that exhaustion bites at his soul. And um, it's really that. So he's in quite a terrible state and that is reflected by the state of his realm. Dream is the dreaming and the dreaming is dream. There has never been a more powerful metaphor for trauma and how one's inner state affects absolutely everything. The crumbling dreaming is dream's inner state and dream's inner state makes the dreaming crumble. It's really as straightforward as that. This issue also shows us in no uncertain terms how dream's creations are affected by his absence and his return. His creations reflect his emotions and his will, but they also have their own personalities and feelings, like Gregory, for example. So we can basically see that as creativity not only being a product of the mind, it also has the power to build deep relationships with others. It can be a source of joy and redemption, but also of pain and sacrifice. Then, of course, we have the whole relationship between Cain and Abel. They are, on the surface, the first murderer and the first victim in the first story. And dreams are also equated with stories here in the whole of the Sandman. But it goes much deeper than that. Both Cain and Abel are caught up in a state of codependency, basically, where one cannot really exist without the other, and they both suffer and can't escape playing out the same destructive patterns of their relationship over and over and over again. And then we, of course, also have John Dee, we will look at him in much more detail in later episodes, but suffice it to say that he's basically the poster child for the lines between dreaming and reality becoming so blurred that it turns into a real problem for him and other people. And it's probably also no coincidence that we learn about the shifting zones earlier in this issue, which tie in with this whole narrative in a way because the boundaries between the real world the various afterlives and places like the dreaming are very indistinct there and time doesn't really exist in a linear form either we will visit that place several times during the whole run of the sandman but this is basically the first time we actually come across it when dream is basically coming back to his realm in this context, I'd also like to point um, towards the Gates of Horn and Ivory very briefly, because they are also mentioned for the first time in this issue. These are obviously not Neil Gaiman's inventions, and we can already read about them in Homer's Iliad and Virgil's Eclogues, um, and I'll give you a couple of quotes here. Dreams surely are difficult, confusing, and not everything in them is brought to pass for mankind. For fleeting dreams have two gates. One is fashioned of horn and one of ivory. Those which pass through the one of sawn ivory are deceptive, bringing tidings which come to naught. But those which issue from the one of polished bone bring true results when a mortal sees them. And then we have Virgil. There are two gates of sleep. One is of horn, easy passage for the shades of truth. The other, of gleaming white ivory, permits false dreams to ascend to the upper air. 
And in Greek mythology, it was believed that Morpheus, as the only god in that case who brought dreams to kings and emperors, brought only true dreams. But what do we make of a distinction between dreams that are true and dreams that are lies? Are they not both and neither? So that's maybe also a little question for reflection for yourself. So this issue really invites us to consider how we currently cope with trauma, depression, codependency, how we express ourselves through imagination, inspiration and story, how we relate to our creations and to the creations of others, and how we balance dreams and reality in our lives, whether there even has to be a balance to be struck. And this brings me to the exploration and a couple of questions for you. Because imperfect hosts always makes me reflect on my own relationship with asking for help, actually, and also offering it. Don't get me wrong, dream is basically the antithesis of someone who asks for help. We'll find out much more about that as well. And yet there are moments in here that could almost, just almost, be regarded as either asking for help or at least accepting it. In the comics, Cain and Abel nurse Dream back to health and they offer him at least some sort of hospitality. Dream also seeks help from the fates who give him information about his tools of power and their whereabouts. But of course, we also get the moments where he makes it abundantly clear that he is too proud to ask for and indeed also to accept help. There's a very poignant scene in the TV series in which Lucien tries to encourage him to call for his sibling's aid. And it becomes clear very, very quickly that this is absolutely not an option, be it down to maybe grudges that have him in a vice or the idea that one simply doesn't ask for help because certain reasons, which we'll all find out. And I mean, I personally feel especially the latter deep in my bones sometimes. So this is always a really good one to reflect upon. So in this episode, I'd really like you to dive into your own relationship with asking for help. How easy or hard is it for you to ask for support, comfort, guidance or resources? How does asking for or indeed offering help reduce isolation, stigma, shame? What does it mean to your personal healing journey, whatever that might be? And then we also, of course, have this whole subject of healing here and overcoming trauma. Asking the fates for help leads Dream into recovery. Well, sort of, no spoilers yet at this point in case you're reading along. Restoring his power and his realm is one big metaphor for healing. But healing comes at its own cost. It isn't easy. And especially in the TV series, it's shown via dream speech to Gregory the gargoyle before he actually takes his life. It's an apology, even if he doesn't really use the word sorry, but nevertheless it is. When Dream rebuilds his realm, we are looking at someone who reclaims agency and ultimately his identity, whether he always connects with that purpose. That's something we'll also go into a bit more deeply. But at this stage, we see that goal there. And this is definitely one of reclaiming agency and identity. Healing involves making peace with what haunts us, 
which let's be fair, Dream isn't particularly good at, but in the TV series he has a moment when he gives Cain and Abel a new baby gargoyle to make amends. So what could you make peace with today? What could you let go of, even if letting go requires help or support, because some things just run so deep that we simply need that support, and that's totally okay. And my last question for you today is how your creativity can help you on that journey. Because dream is the personification of dreams and stories, of imagination, inspiration, and storytelling. So how do any of these help you to cope with challenges and to pursue your goals? Are they a source of joy, of wonder and beauty, a source of meaning, of resilience, hope, growth, transformation? And if you would like to share some of the insights that you came up with today or would like to connect with like-minded people, please feel free to share our subscriber chat on Substack. It's completely free. So if you have any comments or questions, feel free to just leave them there. And also, if you like this podcast or its companion newsletter, please subscribe to both, share it with your friends who might be interested in The Sandman too. And stay tuned for the next issue where we will discuss number three, Dream a Little Dream. And until then, sweet dreams. <laughs>